We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Welcome, everyone, to another uh, episode of the Sacred Collective Podcast. I have another special guest, um, Heather Lynn, and we uh, connected on Instagram. And I, I feel like a lot of these interviews I've done in this summer and spring have been on a post that I, I put out. And it was just like, hey, does anybody want to be on the podcast telling their story? And uh, it's kind of my fault for putting that out there because I got a lot of people that said, hey, I really want to be on here. And Heather Lynn, you were one who, um, mm-hmm. who wanted to be on. And I think yeah. I followed you through... You know, like just I just sometimes just network with everyone and be like, this person looks cool. This person's music I like, and I kind of found you through your music, and I was I really dig it and really enjoy it. So, um, just thank thank you, you, thank you for taking the time out of your busy life just to be on for a little bit. Yeah, and thank you for having me, and thank you for opening space and hospitality for stories and conversation that is honest and real and that matters. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, I guess let's just start into brass tacks here, and let's just okay. dig in. Um, just tell tell our listeners just about you as much or as little as you want. Like, where are you from? Where are you at now? What do you do? Mm. All that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, well... I'm originally from Maine. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I appreciate being called Heather Lynn, and that name means flowering, flowing river. So some some people call me river, and I think that's fun. It actually is a bit of a mantra for me. Um, For some reason, my name has always meant a lot to me, and I've found meaning and guidance for my life in it, um, just to seek to be a channel of, um, you know, life and unconditional love. Um, I'm very imperfect at it, but <laughs> but <laughs> it is an intention um, that I think about a lot. I am originally from Maine. I was raised by a poor single mom with a high school education. She separated from my biological father before I was born because he um, he was an abusive alcoholic and it wasn't a safe environment for her. And so she was scared for her life and for mine. So she did probably one of the bravest things she's ever done in her life um, by making that very difficult choice to depart from someone she loved very much. And um, she was surrounded by um, some of our relatives. And in around when I was like a year, year and a half old, she was starting to look for faith communities or churches. Uh, I think she was looking for community and support and perhaps comfort. And she ended up getting her hair cut uh, by a woman who went to a Pentecostal church, a united Pentecostal church specifically. Oh, gracious. Um, so when I was just a year and a half old, I, I obviously don't remember this, but I do remember um, visiting that hairdresser's place a lot. I remember um, being a very expressive child in that environment, rolling under the pews and dancing around <laughs> You know, the side aisles and stuff. Well, I mean, it's a Pentecostal um, church, so they're okay with a, that. Mm-hmm, that's right. That's right. So there, there was something, there's actually a piece of that that is kind of a delightful memory for me. 
And um, I was a little person with a big voice even then. So um, some of your listeners don't know yet that I'm a singer-songwriter. So um, I I really did start singing in church. And I think that the very first song I ever led, um, you know, a group of people in singing was was this little light of mine when I was like four years old. And, you know, like they, you know, at least at that time in my life, it was like, um, you know, you're the, this little person with this big voice and you shine so brightly. So sing for us, you know. Um, but it was also in that space at a very young age that I remember my inner creative or my inner artist um, first being shut down because, uh, you know, my mom became as as involved as she could be. And we would go to church on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings prayer meetings. And it was one Sunday afternoon in between the church services that I was getting creative and I loved my mom's button, my, my mom's button tin. Mm -hmm. And I would just like put them, you know, I'd pour all the buttons out onto the floor and I would like organize them by color and shapes and how many, how many holes the buttons had in them, you know, cause some have two and some have four. And, um, I made myself this, like, you know, to me anyway, it was like this really fun, beautiful, decadent button bracelet. But in the United Pentecostal Church, women were not to wear makeup or any sort of jewelry or, um, or pants. Like women had to wear like long dresses and, um, never cut their hair and um, so this was my first experience of we had we had gone to church early that evening and Pastor Churchill that was his name man That's <laughs> his a name good was name pastor being a pastor Churchill, Churchill. <laughs> this little white church in rural Maine and uh, we went early because my mom it, my mom is creative too and she did like some really beautiful things with the, like the bulletin board and this was you know like the early eighties. Um, so it's almost like she did the scrapbooking thing with the church bulletin board for announcements and stuff. So she, we went early that Sunday evening and I was wandering around the church, um, halls and bumped into Pastor Churchill, you know, and he's, he was obviously a lot bigger than me because I was a very little Heather Lynn at the time. <laughs> and, um, and I was so excited to tell him about my button bracelet that I had made. And he was like, oh, the Lord would not be pleased. <laughs> and that probably was just crushing. And it was crushing because I I always like believed the the big people in my life and like I listened to them and had this sort of like you know like I was a pretty good girl like I was a normal kid right but mm-hmm. um but I was a pretty good girl and um so I listened and believed and um yeah and I don't know exactly what I did with that you know I was like little so I don't know fully what I did with that in that moment in my life. But when I was kind of doing some creative recovery later in my life, um, that was my first memory of like the artistry in me being kind of shut down by a religious narrative or, um, legalism, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. from the church. Um, so from there, uh, I actually spent several years attending an Assemblies of God church, and I know that Assemblies of God is in your background as well. Yes, it is. Um, so, and for some reason, like just always a very spiritual person I have been. So, um, 
And I, I don't know, like, are you an Enneagram person? Are you into the Enneagram at all, Bren? Um, no, uh, and it's not because okay. I don't want to be. It's just I think I don't know. Sure. I was out of school when we did, you know, out of seminary and stuff. When a lot of these, you know, things kind of more got more popular, I would say. But I listened mm-hmm. to a ton of podcasts where they're like, "Oh, I'm an Enneagram this or an Enneagram that." So um, mm-hmm. I don't know what I am. I'm uh, I'm a big strength finders person, so I did strength oh, finders. Nice. But yes, that's you. Okay. Well, something about so I. For those who do know the Enneagram or or who might be curious about it, I am a type four. And fours in in our pain or in our woundedness or in our longing or whatever, we tend to go to shame pretty readily. And I know that shame is like something many of us struggle mm-hmm. with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that is like part of my personality to go to shame. And so I'm sort of wondering if I wonder about this where like, did that message of shame and fear kind of like work for me at that time in my life? Because I just naturally go to shame. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, you have a kitty. Yeah. uh, My cat was scratching at the door. So, you know, just the fun (laughs) things in my house with random, random cat noises. And if you might hear it. my daughter run to the bathroom, but they're trying to be quiet. Sure. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. Aww. This is just a really raw podcast because I don't have all the production stuff, but you know, it is that's what it great. is. That's great. Yeah, it's great. Like people talking and sharing story. It's so good. Right. Yeah, I just continue. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, that... That sort of sums up a lot of my childhood. I went to an Assemblies of God school. I actually did a little homeschooling. I was terrified of going to public school, but I did that for a couple of years, and it was a very tough time in my life. I mean, high school is usually tough for young people. Um, But, uh, you know, I had been told all of these things. Um, You know, in the 80s, the religious right started to to pursue political power, too. And so they started kind of inundating the mindsets of people in these more conservative Christian spaces um, around the the AIDS epidemic and what that the implications of what that meant spiritually um, for the home for the LGBTQIA community, mm-hmm. um, and they weren't nice about it. They weren't kind about it at all. And um, and then you know issues around pro-life and pro-choice, like the religious right just got very um, aggressive in in what I perceive to be very judgmental messaging to the conservative Christian church. Um, And incidentally, um, I need to do a little more research into the background of all of that, but a lot of that started out as actually very racist. Mm -hmm. So very much perpetuating the white cis heteronormative patriarchy um, and seeking to impose kind of a puritanical um, ethic, I guess, um, onto the rest of the world. Your cat is so cute. I know that your listeners can't see your cat, but we're Skyping right now. And your cat is so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, his, I'm his favorite. So when he doesn't see me, he gets a little, gets a little Nervous. lonely. And so, and yeah. then he's trying to eat the computer and all that stuff. So it is what oh, it is. Oh man. Gets anxious. And yeah. yeah you know, those, I never was a cat person growing up. My dad hated mm-hmm. cats. He grew up on a farm. So he had all these like stray cats and 
right before the pandemic started, my daughter was like, can we, ha- can you and mom have another kid? And we were like, uh, how about we get a cat or a dog? And she's like, okay, that's fine. And so we went to, Aww. you know, the pound and found this, found our cat, Jack. And it was funny cause he was a stray and somebody, well, actually he wasn't a, a stray. Somebody had him and then just threw him in someone's backyard. And that person was like, I don't want this cat brought it in. It's a black cat mm-hmm. named Jack. Um, our family's obsessed with a nightmare before Christmas. So we, his, we changed his name to Jack Skellington and we actually found out that we adopted him on Friday the 13th. So that was, Oh man. That was kind of fun, but he's, <laughs> Love he's, it. he's Love like it. a, he's like a little human in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. definitely has the temperament of a little toddler, but, and now Aww. he's, now he went away. He just wanted to make an appearance, I guess. So you got to see cool. part of my cat. Yeah, right, I love it. Thanks for thanks for uh, getting that background. And I think yeah, being in the like, did you go to Assemblies of God like high school or college? It was a um, it was actually a grade school, oh, grade school through through high school. But I I was there like third to seventh sixth grade third third to sixth or seventh grade. Yeah, I didn't even know that they did schools like that for in the Assemblies yeah. of God. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I was a lifelong ag and it's funny because I, I feel like that like AG people, and that's for people who don't know AG is just the short slang for Assemblies of God. Um, yeah. I feel like we find each other like somewhere, some weird way, like on the, <laughs> on the internet or whatever. It's just like maybe our background's like, hey, this person used to be Assemblies of God just like you. And it's, it's mm. kind of uncanny, Heatherland, how many times like, I'll just we'll get into conversation and then I'll be like, yeah, I was raised as somebody's a god. They were like, wait, you were too, and I was like, oh, I didn't know you were as well. So it's kind of you were another one of yeah, many who have that. But actually, my college that I went to is a somebody's a god school here in Minneapolis, and it's where I met my my wife. And I have a long mm-hmm. line of a somebody's a god people in my family. But it's kind of funny because my mom grew up as somebody's a god since birth. And then my dad was Lutheran from like rural South Dakota, so I had mm. I had quite the different experience, and if I can say this real quick, kind of just where oh, yeah. I kind free. of found like I've always had this desire to connect with the divine, whatever the divine is. Yeah. Um, and I remember like growing up in church, you know, even as a little kid, going to you know my Assemblies of God church where it was children's church and puppets and human videos and all these stuff and I always just never really liked it I always thought it was kind of kitschy and like even as a little kid I was very (laughs) just like are you trying to impress me because you're not but Mm. then my dad my dad was like the head custodian like facilities person at the at this Lutheran church and we actually lived in the church parsonage and all that stuff so whenever Mm. I was done with school so it's kind of cool because this parsonage was right across the street from my elementary school and on the other side of that was the church so that was just like my life for so many years. Um, yeah. And so my dad would be like, hey, I can't come home and let you in. Why don't you just come to the church and, you know, hang out, do your homework, read or whatever. And my dad would always, it was a pretty big church, and he would he would say, oh, go to the youth room. There's a pool table, you know, like games and stuff. So why don't you do that? Or, you know, like when I was really young, there was like the nursery. So he's like, oh, just play in there or whatever. But then when I got to about 8, 9, 10, and... My dad would be searching. He would be calling all over the church, Brian, Brian, where are you? And I would be sitting in the pew in Lutheran churches. I love it. Or like high churches where, 
you know, they have the stained glass and they have like pictures or like statues of Jesus and stuff. And I remember mm-hmm. like in in like the where the pulpit and lectionary was, right behind there was like etched into like this stone marble wall was Jesus. And Jesus mm-hmm. was like like had had his hands out, like reaching out, like like go out. And I remember mm-hmm. just sitting there one day and I was like nine or ten. And I was just started crying, and my dad was like, "Oh my gosh, are you okay? Like, what's going on?" And I said, "I just really feel like connected, you know. Like, I really mm. feel like this presence." And of course, I didn't know it was God. And my dad was like, "Oh, that's you know, mm-hmm. that's God. That's the Spirit." And I think Aww. at that, and I think at that young age for me, it started me on this journey of like, there's something to God or church or something. And I've deconstructed a lot of that. There's that fun word of deconstruction, but and I think mm. even back then was kind of like my creativeness. And for me, my creativeness is definitely not music. I'll say that I was in a band in high school and we were horrid. It was fun, but <laughs> I was the singer. Um, yeah. So my my family, like my mom and my brother, will make fun of me and say that was not the greatest, you know, foray into your creativeness, but. Um, it always got me into, you know, thinking, I, I'm, I would say I'm like an intellectual, I love theology, I love reading, I love, you know, writing. Yeah. But whenever I grew up in the Assemblies of God, it was always like, stop thinking, don't think too much, don't ask questions. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of really started kind of walking away from traditional Christianity in a way mm-hmm. was in college where I had professors be like, oh, well, we know Jesus this, or we know this about this book of the Bible, or we know that the Bible is the errant word of God. And I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't think we do. And, and and it was just like, I felt like even my intellectual creative juices were kind of yep. getting, you know, just squashed out. And I actually had mm-hmm. a professor friend of mine who I'm still friends with with this day. He's a great guy. Um, he was one of my college professors. And he was like, I think you should go to seminary because he's like, you want more. He's like, you just want more. You want to keep learning. He's like, get your creativeness in there. And then I just went to seminary. And my wife jokes with me that you'll probably, like our kid will be in college and you'll be like, can I come with you and and learn and stuff like that. So it's it's like, and, I, and I've kept like an online like, uh, like poetry journal. I, I dabble in poetry. Um, nice. Just, you know, just for creative juices. I think creative people. And I, th- I would say all, all humans are creative. In a yeah. certain sense, I would too. whether that's music or painting or whatever it mm-hmm. is, uh, podcasting, I would say that's a creative outlet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just feel so often so many people who have grown up in church, especially more evangelicalism, um, mm-hmm. kind of get that like squashed out of them. You know, they kind of get that quenched out of them. Like, okay, it's great that you want to do this, but don't rock the boat. Don't ask too many mm-hmm. questions. Like, here's, you know, mm-hmm. this square box of what's accepted. You can kind of mm-hmm. be fringe a little bit, but as soon as you kind of start going out of those boxes, then, right. you know, it's no go. To, no go. And I think a lot of us people are finding like, hey, there's just as much of this community, you know, whatever, if it's Christian or not, outside of these communities. And I think we're kind of, I don't know, twisting, or not twisting, mm-hmm. uh, reformulating that, that uh, mold, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense to me, Brian. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I'm sure your you. listeners lo- love to know more of your background, too. I think sometimes they might get yeah. a little bit like, Brian, we've heard this before. But, you know, when we have conversations, oh. just, just <laughs> you know, 
back and that's forth. That's right. Back and, and it's forth. great to get to know you too, man. Yeah. Um, it's cool. So you kind of went a little bit into your background of like how you were raised and stuff. Like if I can ask now and you're comfortable mm-hmm. with it, like where are you at now? Like do you go to church? Do you, you know, would you say you're a Christian? Are you religious? Like kind of the kind of nitty gritty one of the things we asked all of our guests. It's just kind of if they're comfortable where, where they're at just because – you know, someone's journey like yours might help someone mm-hmm. kind of help formulate some some people's, you know, own questions and desires. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I will say just a couple things from from my upbringing. I remember having questions about it when I was a little Heatherlin. Like, you know, they were trying to teach us an ethic about like, they were using the Psalms, like the the psalmist would say, like, I, I hate those who hate you, Lord. And they were using this passage to teach us about, like, the kinds of friends we should choose. Mm-hmm. And and um, and I was like, well, wait a minute, though, because aren't we supposed to follow in the way of Jesus? And Jesus, like, hung out with all of these people who were like, I mean, I didn't use these terms then, but, you know, they were on the fringes. They were on the margins. Right, they, right. they were people who weren't acceptable in society. They were often called sinners or, you know, exploitative tax collectors or even prostitutes or people doing sex work. And um, and so, like, I would ask about this and they would be like, well, you're not Jesus. Like, Jesus can do that in a way that you can't do. So, <laughs> I was like, but what I really wish now is that they had taught me about, like, how to identify if someone is a narcissist. Like, mm-hmm. that would have been really useful to me to, like, <laughs> to learn skills like that, to discern if someone's going to be, like, abusive and awful to me. But now we know, like, a lot of these um, context actually breeds, um, specifically masculine narcissism, Mm -hmm. you know, and abusiveness. Um, so I just, I did have questions, right. But I, I did kind of, I had this like innocence and this, like, um, I believed what I was told I was to believe. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, and it was important to me to be that good Christian. So, um, I believe that my deconstruction actually happened in, in kind of a gentle way, which I'm really grateful for because I know a lot of people deconstruct and kind of their whole lives fall apart. Right. Um, and so I feel really grateful for, I went to Gordon college, which was an inter interdenominational or non-denominational Christian, um, college. So that, that for me expanded like my awareness of all the iterations of Christianity throughout history and across like denominations. Um, so I, because of that, and that's just a quick summary of that, I ended up working in a Lutheran church. So I know you're talking about AG and Lutheranism. Mm -hmm. So that's part of my story too, which is a really funny thing. Um, and it was in Lutheran Lutheranism in the ELCA specifically, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, where I started to have conversations about like child baptism and like the implications of what that speaks and says about the immense grace of God and how unconditional it is, where mm-hmm. the uh, my upbringing, it was kind of like, well, God's love is unconditional, but <laughs> you know, yep. like kind, yep. kind of always, kind of there was kind of always a but. Um, so not really unconditional, actually. Um, mm-hmm. man, that was confusing. Um, 
And so then I, that was a beautiful, it was working in the Lutheran church that, that I began to read authors like Brian McLaren mm. and folks like that and do some, and, and then that's when I began doing more intentional deconstruction, actually, actually set a boundary for myself after college. I had spent like every day from like third, ga- third grade through college. I really strived to read my Bible and pray every single day. I strived. Um, but I could tell it was like, can I, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Feel so, free. Okay. <laughs> I could tell in college, like that was fucking with me. Right. Because mm-hmm. it was like, if I did it well, then it, it was almost like I had this, like, well, I'm doing this well. And mm-hmm. that was like weird and not healthy. And like, I didn't like that kind of like prideful feeling that was icky. And then when I didn't do it, I felt ashamed. And I'm like, this is this should not be the measure, right? Like mm-hmm. of um, integrity or wholeness or like if you're a loving human be- human being. So after college, I actually set a boundary with the Bible. I was like, I'm not reading the Bible unless I can do this in a context with humans who can help me like get like a different perspective this of this because it was so how it was interpreted to me was so psychologically damaging mm-hmm. and so shame filled and so fear filled I was just like I'm not reading it I'm not listening to this um but it was working in the Lutheran church that helped me start to get a totally different theology and and realize that you can you come to a sacred text like that with your story, with your experience, with understanding culture, with understanding, um, you know, how people have approached it throughout the ages. Like there's more to it than just this very one particular, um, you know, thing that I was told is, was the, the way or the right way or like the corner on the truth. And, um, that was very healing for me. Like I remember the first time, I sat around a um, a table with some folks to plan for worship. We're reading this passage that Jesus describes about the the vineyard bearing fruit, and those that aren't aren't bearing fruit, they're pruned and tossed into the fire. And for the very first time, I heard this as a gracious message. And I heard it not as like individual people and like the good humans are going to be kept and the bad humans are going to be pruned and tossed into the fire. I heard it as everything in me that no longer serves, that's no longer bearing fruit, everything in me. What a grace that perhaps the divine would help me shed that Mm -hmm. or release it or, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Like oh, it was absolutely. really powerful. Um, so I'm, and I'm getting to, you asked me more about the present. So I wanted to share that though, because that enabled me then to really have freedom to what you were talking about, the freedom to think and the freedom to explore. I've always been interested in psychology and philosophy. Like I'm a philosopher poet and philosophy is just being a lover of wisdom, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And, um, and so my, I, in this deconstruction process, I, I began to recover for myself 
um, who I really am as a singer, as a, as a writer, as a songwriter, as someone who desires to sing over people in a way that may be healing to them or maybe helps them hold space for an aspect of their humanity and their human experience that might be really joyful or really painful or something in between. Um, and I started to feel this call beyond these church walls where I was working, you know, um, a call for what I was to share, but also a call for what what more I could learn from others. And and that liberated me, that, that part of my journey really liberated me to step outside of the church. Um, I am a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. so I had a really um, deep yoga practice for a couple of years that healed me and helped me connect more to the, the psycho-spiritual and the psychosomatic experience of life. I think that was something that I was really missing in the church where they sort of deny the body and like the reality that you experience through your body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so yoga helped me connect more my spiritual life to my body and my experience in my body. And, and it was profoundly healing for me, for my childhood trauma, for my religious trauma. And truthfully, yogic philosophy, Buddhism, and Indian uh, mythology was just blew my mind. And a lot of it was way more practical for me and my life, especially at that time in my journey. So um, I actually really intentionally didn't do any musical work within the church for quite a while because I needed that for myself. I needed to kind of set that boundary to explore on my own, to think on my own, to create. Um, I never totally departed from the church uh, because, you know, there was a community that I really loved connecting with and they really valued the songs that I would bring that, um, were more multidimensional about the human experience and had a little bit more of a universal uh, spiritual message to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of all of that, I have been able to come back to the teachings of Jesus in a way that is really meaningful and powerful to me. Um, I, I see Jesus as a revolutionary sage who perhaps understood you know, the divine breathing through each and every one of us. Um, You know, he said, he didn't just say that he was the light of the world. He said that we are the light of the world. He said that, you know, when he was departing from the earth, as the story goes, he actually said to his disciples, the ones who followed him, the ones who spent the most time, the ones who were like intimate friends with him. He said, you know, when I depart, um, I'm not going to be able to do these things anymore. You know, all this good shit that I, that I've done mm-hmm, all these healings mm-hmm. and all, all these healings, all these revelatory things, all of these revolutionary things of radical inclusion and, you know, sitting with the, the woman at the well who was totally ostracized for like her not matching up to the ethic of the, of the particular culture and society she was in, you know, for example. Um, and he said to them, like, you know, the spirit is going to come up on you. And you're going to do even greater things than I do. And I wonder about that all the time. <laughs> you know, you need to get out of my head because I was thinking the exact same thing when you were saying <laughs> that. Because it's like, that's literally what Jesus said when people are like, well, we can't do anything without Jesus. And I'm like, literally, Jesus said like the last thing, I'm not going to be here anymore. So I've prepared you to do this and you're going to do 
things greater than I. And then people are right? like, what does that mean? Like, we're Jesus? No, I'm not saying that you're Jesus. He's just like, because I get in trouble, Heather Lynn, because what I say now is Jesus didn't come to start a religion. It's his followers that started the religion. Yeah, and Jesus I came, agree with that. Jesus came as more of a philosopher, like you said, like a sage, a wise person, and was like, you want to live a good life? You want to have eternity or whatever that is? Like, follow these teachings. And follow, and then once you have these teachings down pat, live it, and then go tell it to other people. And then people are like, well, yeah, that's Christianity. I said, no, we have made it Christianity, but literally the early people who followed Jesus were literally called followers of the way. Mm-hmm. And, and But like you were just saying, like we ask these questions, and it's like, well, no, why are you saying that? And it's like, you're, I'm literally saying... What Jesus said before he ascended, you know, like you said, as the story goes. So it's, Mm -hmm. I just had to say that because you and I were tracking exactly the same, (laughs) which is kind of eerie, but cool at the same time. Well, and those of us who still find ourselves in um, Christian spaces, like, why don't we talk about this so much more? Like, what did Jesus really, I feel like that's a question to live. It's not necessarily a question that we are going to arrive at an answer to, but I feel like it's a question to live and like, let abide. Cause it's one of the last things he said mm-hmm. before his departure. Like, well, why, why aren't we carrying that with us? And you, to your question about, you know, are you a Christian or not? It's, I feel like that's such an interesting question because you're just you were just talking about what what the world has made Christianity to be, what we have made Christianity mm-hmm. to be, what history has made Christianity to be. Um, frankly, there are times that Christianity has been simply the uh, tool of empire to bring about oppression and um, war, and um, you know it's pretty devastating actually. Yep. Um, and I think ap- absolutely antithetical to anything and everything that Jesus might've been about, you know? Um, so if someone were to ask me, are you a Christian? I, it would sort of be like <laughs> a, a really good friend of mine used this as an example one time. She said, you know, if you were to ask me if I'm a dog <laughs> or a canine <laughs> creature, then it would be like, well, yeah, but are you talking about a golden retriever or are you talking about like a golden doodle or <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, like, right. Um, so because there are all of these iterations um, and so what one person thinks Christianity looks like, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely do not fit into that category. And, and, if I, and if I called myself a Christian in their presence, they would be like, hell no, you aren't, yeah. you know? <laughs> yep. Um, and, um, and, but then there's others who, so I just kind of say, look at my life and then you decide if I fit into your category and your definition of Christian or not. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, um, it, you know, it's obviously very personal for everyone, like where they, mm-hmm. where they're at. And I know, I know people in my own life who are like, well, I'm an atheist, but they only call themselves an atheist knowing them really well. Like I do where I'm like, are you really an atheist or are you just fed up of all the church bullshit because yeah if you're fed up with the bull- church bullshit but you still kind of like jesus and whatever like i don't mm-hmm. I, maybe you're agnostic or like just not having a label which is fine and people all the time will say yeah like my family they'll be like well brian you you know you like to label yourself a lot but you know we shouldn't be about labels and i said that's all humans do we label yeah, each yeah. other you know uh-huh. like whatever we do like titles of you know, husband, wife, child, kid, Christian, not Christian, 
they're all titles that we put on ourselves and it it has this layer of of complexity and just be like can i just like live my life and you know, mm-hmm. exist and be in the moment, but it's like, what are you? What are you? So I actually almost feel guilty saying, like, are you a Christian? <laughs> but, sure. but you know, it's just because it's such a multifaceted and complex question, like you said. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah, actually, I got myself in trouble last week. I thought this would be <laughs> important to share. Uh, I had a family event, um, some relatives that came in from out of town. We had, uh, had a cookout at my brother's house and, my my brother's a, a a Baptist pastor, you know, didn't really leave too much of the evangelical church world. Love the guy, great guy, um, loves what he does. And my cousin is a has his PhD in systematic theology, so this guy knows his stuff. And I just like and I've said this to like my close intimate friends, but I was like using labels, I like a little label myself, I guess. And I was like, I, I really feel comfortable which is calling myself like a Christian agnostic. And mm. people are like, first of all, like my family's like, what is that? And then when I told them, they were like, well, no, you're not. I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, you're not that. I'm like, am I not that because you feel uncomfortable that I put two words that you think are not synonymous together? They're like, mm-hmm. no. And I'm like, no, yet yeah, you are. And they're like, well, explain. And I was like, mm. I call myself a Christian because I do, I've always had this, desire and love and longing after the teachings of Jesus. Mm. I think they're a reason why they transcend time, culture, creed, race, everything. Like people are influenced, mm-hmm. even other religions are influenced by Christianity. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, and I said that's not even talking about the salvific aspect of it, but just the teachings of Jesus and and what his disciples and apostles did. So I said I believe that. But I said, I'm agnostic because literally agnostic, and there's different forms of agnosticism, like hardcore agnosticism or like weak agnosticism. And I said, I'm more in the camp of like weak agnosticism because I said, there's so many things that we as human beings, especially as Christians, teach as truth, teach as pure knowledge, teach as Mm -hmm. we know that this is right. And I said, literally, we know nothing about God. Mm. We don't. And I said, for centuries, we've talked about it. And I was like, how do we as finite human beings put absolutes on an infinite being? Hmm. And I was like, let that sink in. And I'm like, my family's like, well, what, what, what? I'm like, I'm literally saying you're putting human, factual, truthful attributes as finite people onto an infinite being and saying, well, that's what you are, or that's what, who you are, or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, my brain can't do that and won't allow me. And and I said, my soul, call it my essence, whatever you will. I said, it won't do that. And I said, at the end of the day, I don't care, you know, if if there is an afterlife and there is a heaven and God's like, hey, why should, you know, you be here? I'll be like, because I took your teachings and lived them out and cared about other people and loved other people and included other people and, Mm -hmm. you know, took care of the widow, the orphan of the poor and not like, oh, I went to church and read the Bible all the time and... You know, I didn't drink or smoke or, you know, swear or have sex before I was married and da 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 da. Like I'm like God. Oh, doesn't... that's a whole other conversation. Right, exactly, exactly. Part two. <laughs> no, um, and, and, and it's just like I got myself in trouble with that, but at the same time, like it's so freeing 
mm-hmm. when a person knows what they believe and feel like, even if everyone around them is like, yo, you're, you know, you're smoking mm-hmm. something and you're a little out there. But when you yourself know, like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. And I'm comfortable mm-hmm. with it. And it's so freeing. And, you know, I, I would even say, like, now the big conversation within deconstruction movement is, okay, deconstruction isn't supposed to be, like, a lifelong thing. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a, a, a certain amount of time in your life where you deconstructed what you needed to deconstruct. That could be a year. That could be 20 years. But what are you going to do with that now? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, all mm-hmm. over Twitter, all over Instagram, with certain people I follow – and mm-hmm. it's it's made me realize and think like I've started about a year or two ago, really starting to like reconstruct like wh- what do mm-hmm. I make of all this stuff in in what uh, you know within Christianity, maybe within other religions, and mm-hmm. and I feel like right now there's so many there's even so many toxic conversations even in like the evangelical movement and in mm-hmm. the deconstruction movement where everyone's like oh if you're a Christian you're you're this and you're that and you're this and then you're kind of like mm. well not all of us in this community hate church or hate god or are done with it we might mm. be ex-evangelicals because we're not evangelicals anymore but let's take mm. our deconstruction and then somehow reconstruct mm. it into what it needs to be for us in our own life or maybe in our family's life so i don't know i, mm. I just think i think that that's where i'm getting at and that's kind of where i I, I hope this podcast goes and like having this conversation with you even is, is, and even other guests we've had where definitely there's hurt. There's definitely people who've been on here who are like, I hate church. I'm an atheist. I respect that. I respect their journey. Mm-hmm. But then I'm always kind of like, you know, like I'm not saying you have to be a Christian or go to church, but it's like, maybe, you know, maybe we're not all, you know, people who still believe mm-hmm. in God or Jesus. Maybe we're not all assholes. Or, mm-hmm. you know, pieces of shit like a lot of people think we are. Oh, of course but, not. But there's maybe, mm. maybe there's there's some hope. Maybe there's some, maybe mm. some reconstruction that can happen with people. I'll never push that on people, obviously. Mm-hmm. But just kind of being like, because there's so much. I feel like someone myself, like, I have to, like, try to, not that I have to, but I'm like, I want to show people, like, hey, you can have been fucked over by the church and have had trauma in your life. Because I've had that in my own life, too, within the church. But it's, I always tell people, it, you know, like the church is terrible when it hurts people and it's not what it's supposed to do. But then when it does help people, it's an amazing, wonderful, beautiful thing. Mm. And so mm-hmm. often right now, the church, especially in America, is hurting people. And yeah. now you're seeing that with people in droves leaving, you know, the church. Mm-hmm. Sorry for that mm-hmm. little tangent. I kind of got. <laughs> oh, no need to apologize, man. That's that's great. And I think you've touched on something that's pr- that's really important because we do all ha- need to go about healing from religious trauma in the ways that we individually need to go about it. Absolutely. And like I said, I feel very fortunate to have found myself in healthier spaces, pockets of community that journeyed with me in mm-hmm. my deconstruction. And so, um, you know, my healing has included returning to the teachings of Jesus. But you know what? I never placed that expectation on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that that unfolded for me naturally um, because of the journey, spaces, community, like I said. But, um, but I never expect that from anybody like they might need to completely depart from 
the religious context they grew up in absolutely for Mm -hmm. their own integrity and to be aligned with their soul, their essence. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. So, and I also believe that a lot of folks who are in the, in the, um, kind of like you were saying, ex, what what was the ex evangelical, Mm -hmm. um, uh, progressive Christian, sometimes folks can still carry over um, the patriarchal um, kind, of, it's kind of some of the, the toxic masculinity or the patriarchal stuff that is embedded in all of that. Um, um, and so sometimes we deconstruct some of the things and don't get to some of that inner life stuff that's really critical mm-hmm. um, for for being healthy humans and being healthy together and truly loving one another. And I truly believe that whether you're conservative or liberal or progressive or where, wherever you are in that entire spectrum, um, dogma can turn up anywhere. Judgmentalism can turn up anywhere. Legalism can turn up mm-hmm. in- Anywhere along that spectrum, um, whether you're conservative or liberal, I think a lot of progressives and liberals think that they're immune to like legalism and judgmentalism, and and we're not. <laughs> oh, um, you and spoke any, so much truth right there. <laughs> anytime, anytime we're dogmatic, every time we're dogmatic about anything, there's always it's always a setup for hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. No matter what camp you find yourself in, intellectually or theologically. Anytime you're like leaning in or relying on a form of legalism, you are hampering liberation. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the divine um, is about love and liberation. So, you know, it's just more questions to live on <laughs> an ongoing basis. That's a drop the mic moment right there. I, I mean, I think what you said was so, so poignant because that's another reason why I left my tradition and I won't I won't say who it is because there I still am a lot of friends with the colleagues I was in in the process for like eight years until I finally left but it was exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying well we're we're progressive we're inclusive we are you know LGBTQ affirming and you know we're for racial equality and eco equality mm-hmm. and that was mm-hmm. great and everything my wife and I supported but it was almost like they were like we're immune to uh, you know, legalism. We're immune to all this stuff. And it was just political bickering and fighting. Oh, well, how are evangelicals this? And evangelicals are evil and all conservative people mm-hmm. are blah, blah, blah. Even though there might have been some conservative people in the church. And it was just like, I was sitting back and I was like, what? Like, how how can I be a part of this? Like, and some mm-hmm. people who are in it, you know, when a lot of people are in their evangelical churches, they can't see it. Just like people who are in you know, progressive liberal churches, they might not see it either. And they're like, there's no mm-hmm. way, there's no way we can be, y- y- you know, hypocritical or legalistic. And it's like, no, you, you can be. And then when they get called out, then, you know, how dare you say yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, because we're human. So mm-hmm. even though we're in this different kind of space as we're exploring our humanity um we still yeah we carry over a lot and um and then there is this bigger thing of the white cis heteronormative patriarchy Mm -hmm. 
that we're all, you know, at least in the, I don't know, it seems like the whole world has been pretty impacted by that paradigm Mm -hmm. and, and the ways that that has, um, been in bed with religion, um, has just created a lot of toxic things. So we need to be about wisdom and discernment. And then when we, when we encounter that, you know, depending on the relationship, maybe you can have a sincere conversation about it, or maybe you need to step back in kindness and just say, this isn't where I belong, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but I want to focus right now on your music because you are a wonderful musician. And thank you. um, I think I started following you before I listened to your music. Um, just because I was looking at some of your posts. I don't want to sound like I'm a lurker or like a creeper, but I was like, I think oh, you're, no. I, I just, I liked what you were saying and like your cool. post and I resonated with it. And then I, down the rabbit hole, I remember one day just listening to your music for like two or three hours. Um, mm. And I really appreciate it. I really appreciate, uh, you know, your passion in the music and, and the songs uh, you write and sing. Um, so just maybe for a few minutes, because I want to be respectful of your time, of like how did you kind of just you've always said you're creative and like doing music but just kind of like mm. how was how did you get into that and how were you like I really want to do this you know lifelong mm. um and mm-hmm. and kind of how like how do you how do you sit and write music cuz all musicians are different in how they do creative I know it's kind <laughs> of an open-ended question but um sure. yeah Yeah it's so interesting because about the same time that I answered this sort of relentless call of song in my being that's mm-hmm. been there as long as I can remember. Um, the, about the same time that I said yes to that call, we can say call is one term for it, yeah. was was around the same time I, I really was in the, you know, kind of through a lot of this deconstruction um, and needing to step away from my work in the church for a while Um, Because at that time, I wasn't sure if I believed it anymore. So I wasn't sure I was being authentic and Mm -hmm. like really operating with integrity in that space. And um, it wasn't just that. It was I also wanted to write and sing about everything in the human experience. Like I didn't want to only sing and write about theological themes within a particular Christian context, you know? Um, I wanted to write about... um, a soul nap in the shade was actually the first song that I wrote in this season of my life, which was really about rest and um, grace and not having to strive all the time to be worthy of love and this gift of life that we are given and we just are given it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was around that time I was about 25 and I had a quarter life crisis and I was looking back at a, journal entry from like a couple years prior and realized I didn't follow through with like these these new year's intentions I had for that year. Mm -hmm. And it just came upon me really strongly that uh, this realization of I had always wanted to write songs, record them and share them with the world, whatever that means, right? Like whoever Mm -hmm. wants to hear them, whoever would be blessed to hear them, whoever would receive and it would be of benefit to them. And um, I just knew I had to make some shifts and um, so took some risks, left the gig, um, you know, just started making shifts in life to do that. And it's, it's been hard, but 
uh, I think ultimately it is what is aligned. Um, but so often these context that so many of us have come from where we've had to deconstruct, we are taught to ignore the the inner life. We're taught to ignore what we actually long for and what we desire. And so I had to work through this whole theological thing around like wanting to be a singer. I thought I was being selfish and, you know, and the, and the, the obstacles I would come up against, the challenges I would be like, well, maybe it's not God's will when actually just the systems and structures in our society just make it difficult for <laughs> independent artists right, to, right. to like do what we love and to be who we are in the world. It's just challenging. And so I've, I've learned a lot about that and how to educate people around valuing artistry and creatives and, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done around that because the gig economy and the hustle is another iteration of the white societal patriarchy that you know is like this oppressive capitalistic um, thing that's not fair or just at all. Um, but this is what I have always longed to do, and who how I've longed to show up in the world. And for me, it is about having a lot of fun. Um, for me, it's about being honest about the human experience, both personally and collectively. So singing mm -hmm. about justice um, and, you know, how do we approach that? How do we um, embody that in our lives, in the world and collectively together in society? Um, and then also I feel like there's something about, um, I don't know, like every creative and artist has kind of a, a unique skill or gifting or something that they lean more towards naturally. And for me, it, it does seem to be about healing. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. people have reflected back to me and it's taken me a really long time to believe them, but I finally believe them now that when I sing, they feel loved. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just more and more my intention is like, I just want to sing for as many people as possible because I want them to feel loved. I just want to love on people mm. with my voice and with my songs and in holding that space for them to be the authentic human beings that they are and to, to perhaps pay attention to a dream within them or a spark within them that could, could then lead them to, um, you know, flourish and thrive in a gifting they have that could be of benefit and blessing to the world when so much in our culture and society says, don't pay attention to that. So it's not just the church, right? It is culture right, and society right. that says, no, you don't get to do that really wonderful life-giving thing that make, that brings you so much joy and that would then in turn overflow and bring so much joy to others. Like, um, I mean, I want to be about inviting people into full aliveness and into joy that is revolutionary. That's not contrived happiness or like the tyranny of happiness, right? Mm -hmm, in our culture, mm -hmm. that's like you're you're not like good enough if you're not happy. Um, because the honest thing, the thing, I think the only way to joy is to also be willing to go to the depths and to be willing to grieve and to be willing and be and abide that process, which is hard and takes a lot of courage and a lot of grace and. Um, you know, hopefully community can surround us or good people can surround us to, so that we're not alone in that. Um, now I'm going on a tangent, Brian. No, go for it. That's <laughs> fine. That was, I think the one word that just popped into my head was like, that's powerful, you know? And, and like mm -hmm. I said, like, I think we're all creative people in, in our own rights, mm -hmm. whatever we do. So, and, I and just, just, just keep pushing on doing that. I, I mean, I know I'm just not impacted by any music, but other people too who listen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really what you said, what hit me was like, you want to sing about the experience of human life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like 
you know, so often like I've had friends who were worship leaders at churches and they've left that and are now doing their own singing songwriting. I mean, look at someone like Derek Webb, you know, mm-hmm. left mm-hmm. left kind of Cadmus Call into that or Dave Bazan, all these great musicians that have yeah. kind of like left yep. church work and now are just writing about the human human experience and you yeah. know, and you too with you know, with what you're doing. I'm just I'm just excited i get to spend time with you and, and talk about mm. this so um it's just your music has impacted me and i know that it impacts other people as well so keep keep doing I'm what so you're doing grateful. i'm so grateful and you know people can connect with me i'm a streamer i've been streaming like long before covid i started doing um shows for online experiences back in 2016 and i started a patreon community back then and so i'm on a little bit of a break right now um because you know people got screen fatigue last year and Mm -hmm. i was i was doing a show weekly um so i'm i'm stepping back just a tiny bit at the moment um but for sure in the fall and in the winter i'll be on regularly but i do have a show coming up that will be on my facebook page but also my youtube channel and um you know just the places you would expect to see a streamer share their stuff um i'd love for people to connect to heatherland music awesome well if you ever tour like in person and live and you're ever in the cities um yes that'd be fantastic in the twin cities Oh um, man, that will totally happen once it's safe to travel again. Um, that will absolutely happen. And I will say this: I do, I, I do run. Uh, we we switched calling ourselves a church and are now yeah. more of a just community. I would say this, and we changed Great. our name to Doubters Believers Alliance. But nice. we actually meet in a. It's 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 called Bryant Lake Bowl. I don't know if you ever heard of that when you lived yeah, here. Yeah, I have. So yeah. that's where we meet and. I'm, mm-hmm. We're eventually wanting to get musicians and 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 do that. So I'm just saying, if you were ever in town or in the cities mm-hmm. and would want to be down for that, um, yeah, we should follow up for sure. Yeah, that would be sweet because I just want to get musicians who kind of have the same vibe as us, but also mm-hmm. just supporting, you know, paying people, yeah. paying the community, or paying like the, the Bryant Lake Bowl and all that stuff because. Music has mm-hmm. such such an impact um, on so many people's life. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you have like five minutes for a quick lightning round? I know I didn't tell you what these oh, questions sure. were, but they're pretty. Okay, they're pretty. Go. They're pretty vanilla. Um, what is <laughs> what is your favorite beverage that you can't go without? And you can't say water because everyone needs water. Um, but mm-hmm. what's something that you're like? I really enjoy this. I maybe not every day, but like this is like my favorite drink. This is my jam. Okay, uh, like, I, I've got, like, three categories in my head. So, like, coffee, for sure. <laughs> I, I hear that. <laughs> Kombucha, and then whiskey. I like that last one. I, I My coffee, I have <laughs> to have a little bit of coffee with my creamer. Yeah, uh, I'm one sure. of those people because it's too bitter. Okay. Not a fan Fair. of kombucha. My, I'm sorry, okay. I just never got into it. But I no worries, man. Absolutely love whiskey. Um, yeah, you'd be impressed All with right. my liquor cabinet. Um, I'll just oh, say okay. That. So I, right. I'm with you with whiskey. Okay, um, what is? It, it either could be your favorite place you've ever vacationed or the place you want to vacation the most. Mm. You know, it's um, kind of a COVID question because we want to travel more, right? That's right. So I really, I honestly haven't 
had a whole lot of vacation in my life as someone who's a musician and working in the gig economy, but I have traveled a ton. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done a ton of independent touring. So the two, oh gosh, like I cannot wait to get back to the UK. Mm. Um, I have a, a collective there called the Nine Beats Collective. I adore them. I love touring in the UK, so I can't wait to get back there. I really want to visit the mainland Europe, though. I've never been to like France or Spain. I'd love to do that. Greece, Turkey. Um, I have been to Australia, though, and I was there one winter, and I have just like some gorgeous photographs of like the lush hillside. Um, at sundown, um, just so beautiful. And then I have a lot of people and places I love in San Diego. So Southern California. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to travel. <laughs> I know. Right. My wife, oh. my wife and I are supposed to go to Boston for our anniversary. Cause, um, mm -hmm. we were supposed to go last year on our 10th anniversary, but you know, the damn COVID, and so hopefully we bought our tickets like earlier, like this spring and like, oh yeah, what's going to happen? And now with this stupid Delta variant, we're like, yeah, mm, that's right. is this going to happen? And we're dumb enough and we didn't put insurance on our tickets. So we're like, oh, we might be out of money. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed that we can go there because I've always wanted to visit. I hope, I hope you get to do it. Boston has a special place in my heart because I grew up in Maine and all mm -hmm. of our like school field trips, like our big school field trips were to Boston. Mm -hmm. And um, and it feels, you know, a little bit older than some other parts of the country. Right. Um, there's just a lot of history there. So so Delta variant go away so we can have our, <laughs> have our trip. Yeah. Now, um, what's, what's like the one book that you can, not only that you love, but you're like, you love it so much that you're like, here, I want to give this to other people because it's impacted you so much. Mm, uh, possibly the four agreements. Mm -hmm. Um I haven't read it in a, it's been a few years since I've read the whole book, but I often return to the four agreements themselves. Um, are you familiar with these? I don't think so. Um, here, I'll just quickly look them up. Four agreements. Um, you'll edit this part out, right? I can, yes. I can tell the my, little pause. I can tell my producer too. <laughs> And he'll hear this and be like, oh, this is the part I should edit out. <laughs> so I just find them really helpful. Be impeccable with your words. So speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or mm. against others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. Second agreement, don't take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of, of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. Very hard, a practice, but a beneficial intention, right? Yep, yep. Third one, don't make assumptions. Find the courage to ask questions and to express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstanding, sadness, drama. Um, fourth, always do your best and your best is going to change from moment to moment. It will be different when you are tired as opposed to well-rested under any circumstance, simply do your best and you will avoid self-judgment, self-abuse and regret. Mm, that's very powerful. So, ho hopefully there's not any copyright infringement by me. It's just sharing those, <laughs> those quickly. Hope not, fingers crossed. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe you need to edit. No, I think it's fine. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, you can just say the four agreements. Four agreements. Um, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Um, 
before we end, where can where can our listeners um, find you? I know you said streaming like on YouTube and stuff, but is there any other mm-hmm. place? This is your time to shine of where you want people to connect with you. Yeah. Well, my, my main website is heatherlandmusic.com. My Patreon is where I'm most engaged with my like community of patrons and supporters, and that's patreon.com slash heatherlandmusic. And then yeah, the other the other spaces like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I'm I'm kind of everywhere, but those are the main places that I'm active. But I'm everywhere as Heatherland Music. Awesome, thank you, thank you so much for this uh, awesome conversation. I've had a blast. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Hopefully, you have too. Um, yeah, and just thank you for everything you do. Thanks for being vulnerable and open and. Uh, just making kick-ass music that uh, is powerful for everyone. Oh, I really appreciate you, man. And we'll definitely reconnect and have a whiskey when I get back up to the Twin Cities. Let's do it. All right. Have a good night. Okay. All right. Peace. Yeah, bye. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN. Yeah.